0: Welcome to our broadcast today, everyone. I'm Jerry Savell. Thank you for joining me and I really appreciate you watching and I trust that as you do, you're going to receive some great insight into the Word of God. You know, God's Word is so powerful. It's so wonderful. I can't get enough of it and I hope you feel the same way. Recently, the Spirit of God spoke to me about something that I'm going to be sharing with you today that I believe is very, very important. So I want to invite you to give me your undivided attention. I'm going to take you into a meeting at Eagle Mountain Church, uh, Kenneth Copeland Ministries, where I was speaking in one of his recent uh, conferences, and the Spirit of God instructed me to talk about this is your defining moment. What is a defining moment? It's when the character of a person is revealed. You know, we've all had defining moments in our lives. I've had many in the 51 years that I've been serving the Lord, preaching the gospel around the world. I've had numerous defining moments. And today is another time that we are finding out what kind of character we have. You know, the Bible says, in the last days, perilous times shall come. And when they do, and they're here, that's when you find out what you're made of. So I'm gonna take you into that meeting where I'm teaching on this subject, and I believe it's going to make a tremendous impact in your life. Watch now, and I'll be back in a few moments. Back a few days ago, I was, I was praying and just spending some quality time with the Lord, and I heard him say this phrase in my spirit. This is another defining moment in your life. With what you're going through right now, this is a defining moment in your life. And I sensed in my spirit, that it was not just a word for me, but I sensed it was for the entire body of Christ with what we're going through right now. And I knew that in a few days, I was going to be going up Texarkana to speak in Tracy Harris's minister's conference. And I sensed leading the Lord that that's what he wanted me to share in that conference. So I did. And then uh, praying about this service tonight, the Lord impressed upon me to share it here because most of you weren't in that meeting. And I think you need to hear it. This is another defining moment in your life. Now, before I get into what I want to share with you, let me give you some meanings of the phrase defining moment. What are we talking about? I wrote down several. Uh, there, there are some people who have described a defining moment as like a fork in the road. It's like coming to a place in your life where you have to make a decision to either go left or go right Or straight, or back up and go back where you came from. It's like a fork in the road. But a a deeper meaning would be it's one of those times when how you react determines the direction that your life will go in. It's one of those times when how you act will determine what direction your life will go in it can take you on a path of failure and destruction or on a path to some of your greatest victories it's been said that a defining moment in life shapes you and causes you to become the person that you eventually will become now what we were talking about there is really some defining moments in our lives yeah. When I was listening to Brother Copeland this morning, talking about him going to ORU and he, you remember the story about he didn't go when the Lord first talked to him about going, he was kind of hesitant in doing so. But then when he finally made the decision to go, to obey God and go, Uh, He said that he was 30 years old when he went. He's the oldest student there. And uh, when he registered that day, he sensed the leading of the Lord to go up to the sixth floor. And that was off limits to students. You couldn't go to the sixth floor, but the Lord told him to go. And he wasn't sure at that time why, but you know, and he started up there and stopped at the fifth floor and then finally went on up to the sixth floor where Oral Roberts' office was. And uh, he met Ruth Rooks, which had been Oral Roberts' only secretary for the entirety of his ministry. Ruth was a sweet lady. And he met Ruth Rooks and he told her that uh, I just thought I needed to tell you that I'm a commercial pilot. I have a commercial... License, I can fly airplanes. And he didn't realize it, but Oral Roberts had stepped up behind him and he didn't know he was there. And when he turned around, Oral Roberts was standing there. And you, you heard the story this morning. And uh, he was hired immediately as co-pilot on Oral Roberts' airplane. That meant he went everywhere Oral Roberts went. He was in the meetings and they were still doing some of the last of his tent crusades. So he got to be in that. That is what you would call a defining moment, life changing moment. Amen. The time when his mother gave him his first Kenneth Hagin tape, and he talked about that this morning. And he listened to that message and said, man, I got so excited I wound up under the coffee table you know, just a shouting and praising God. And then that's when he was introduced to the ministry of Kenneth Hagin. And then from there on, uh, he got in every meeting he could back in those early days, he and Gloria and brother Hagin became a mentor to him. That was a defining moment. The moment he heard Kenneth Hagin for the very first time, that was a defining moment, life changing moment. All of us have stories of defining moments. I have many, but I heard the Lord say, this is another defining moment in your life, in every one of our lives. Because what you say and what you do right now and throughout the remainder of this year is gonna determine your future. Thank you for your enthusiasm. We're discovering right now that a lot of preachers talk a good talk, but they don't walk the walk. We're finding out that a lot of people who call themselves faith people, word people. When the chips are down, they're not so much word people after all. A lot of preachers that were preaching prosperity are not preaching it anymore. A lot of preachers that were preaching about the blessing or not preaching it anymore. There's nothing worse than a fake preacher. Amen. That's what kept me out of the ministry for years. I heard the call of God, which was a defining moment in my life. In 1957, watching Oral Roberts on television under the big tent I was watching him in my grandmother's home in Oklahoma City. I was just about to turn 11 years old and in, or standing in her living room, I heard Oral Roberts preach for the first time. I didn't have a clue who he was, never heard of him before. And while I'm standing there in my grandmother's home, I heard the call of God on my life. He said, someday you'll preach like that someday you'll pray for people like that. And that's not what I wanted to do. The thought of preaching had never entered my mind. I already knew by the time I was nine years old, what I was going to do. My dad was in the automotive business. My dad repaired, wrecked automobiles. My dad restored classic automobiles. My dad built hot rods and race cars. I grew up on racetracks. We, we, we we, would traveled a circuit in uh, uh, East Texas, North Louisiana, Southern Arkansas, Eastern Mississippi. We hauled race cars all over that part of the country. As, As a young boy, I grew up that way. And I wanted to be exactly like my daddy. He represented everything I wanted to be. And he began to teach me the trade when I was nine years old. How many of you remember when families used to have breakfast together? <laughs> my, my dad never went to work, or my sister and I never went to school before we had breakfast as a family. And my dad would not get up from the table until he hear me say this. He waited for me to say it. From nine years old, I said it every morning. Dad, when I grow up, we're going to own our own business. There's going to be a big sign out front, Savelle and Dad. <laughs> and he'd get a kick out of that. Savelle and Dad, painting body works. you know. And he would not leave the table until he heard me say that. So that was my dream. And, and this preaching business, uh, God was interfering with my plans. So I never told a soul about it. I never told a soul about it, and I just ignored it, and I figured, you know, someday God will realize I made a mistake and find somebody that really wants to do that. So I pursued my dream. And By the time I was 21 years old, I owned my own business. I was doing exactly what I dreamed I was going to do. I, I repaired wrecked automobiles. I restored classic automobiles. Dad and I were still hauling race cars all over that circuit. In fact, my dad raced against Carroll Shelby right here on Eagle Mountain way back years ago. I have a Life magazine, yeah, on this airport airport. because after the war, uh, a lot of the uh, uh, airports became sports car tracks. And my dad, I've got a a Life magazine and on the front cover. It's Carroll Shelby racing at Eagle Mountain Raceway. And my dad raced against him. So I came over here as a young boy, and I didn't remember that until years later, that this is where my dad used to come and race. And so uh, I, was, I was living my dream. I was doing exactly what I dreamed I was doing. Now, I married a Pentecostal girl. <laughs> that was a defining moment too. <laughs> She told me, and you many of you have heard these stories, but I think it's important to rehearse them for a moment. She told me the night before our wedding, Jerry, and we grew up together on the same street. We've known each other since I was 11 and she was nine. And, and we were not boyfriend, girlfriend back in those early days, but there came a time when she changed and she grew up <laughs> and I was attracted to her. <laughs> And I asked her to marry me. And uh, the night before our wedding, she said, now Jerry, I made a vow to God when I got filled with the Holy Ghost at eight years old, that the man I marry will be born again, filled with the Holy Ghost, preach the gospel, and go to Africa. I said, Carolyn, I'm not doing any of that. You're marrying the wrong man. I'm not doing any of that. I said, if you marry me, you're gonna spend the rest of your life on a racetrack. I'm gonna race automobiles. She said, you don't know the power of intercessory prayer. I said, I've never heard of it. She said, well, that doesn't matter. All you got to do is go in there tomorrow night when the preacher says, do you take this woman? All you have to do is say, I do, and me and God will take care of the rest. (laughs) So I I knew I loved her. I wanted to marry her, so we married. And for the next three years, I tried to prove to her that that was something she ate and it was not a vision from God. You know. But one day, now listen, a defining moment. One day, February 1969, a preacher from Fort Worth, Texas came to Shreveport, Louisiana, preached a week in Life Tabernacle, pastored by and founded by Jack Moore, the church my wife grew up in. She begged me every night when I came home from my shop to go hear this preacher. I wouldn't go. I said, Carol, I don't want to hear another preacher. She said, If you will go tonight and you don't like this preacher, I will never ask you to go again. I said, now that's the deal I've been waiting on. You promise I'll never have to go again. She said, I'll never ask you to go again. I said, I'm going. And so uh, we got in the car and headed over to Life Tabernacle. On the way over there, I asked her, now who is this preacher you want me to hear? She said, Kenneth Copeland. I said, Kenneth Copeland? Kenneth Copeland. Kenneth Copeland. I'd heard that name. And then it dawned on me where I'd heard it before. We got our first rock and roll radio station in Shreveport in 1956. And the year later, 57, that was a very important year in my life. 57, I remember listening to that station and a man on there had a hit song called the Pledge of Love. And it was sung by Kenneth Copeland. I said, I know who that is. She said, how would you know who Kenneth Copeland is? You don't go to church. (laughs) I said, well, there was a Kenneth Copeland in 1957 had a hit record on the radio called the Pledge of Love. I even knew the words. I started singing it to her. She said, it's not the same man. I said, well, how do you know if you ask him? She said, I've never even spoken to him. I've never met him, but I just know it's not the same man. I said, well, can't rock and roll singers get saved? She said, oh, I'm sure they can, but it's not him. Well, I'm going for two reasons tonight. Number one, if I don't like him, I never have to go again. Number two, when he gets through preaching, if I'm still there, I'm going to ask him if he was that same guy, I'd like to be right one time. Is there any other husband who's ever wanted to be right one time? (laughs) Don't lift your hand. Don't lift your hand. Well, I get over there, and I told her on the way over there, I said, No, we're going to sit on the very back row. And the moment I don't like him, I'm going to get up and leave, and you can get home the best way you can. (laughs) She said, If that's what it takes to get you there, I agree. So we sat right on the back row, closest door we could get. And he started preaching. Well, I'd already prepared myself not to like him because I know if I don't like him, i never have to go again. So I'm just sitting there kind of, you know, listening but not listening and waiting for the moment I can get up and leave. 15 minutes into his sermon, he just stopped and said, I don't know why I'm saying this. It has absolutely nothing to do with my sermon. I guess somebody here needs to hear it. 1957, I had a hit record on the radio called the Pledge of Love. I was headed for rock and roll stardom. And boy, that got my attention. That's what got my attention that night. Not the message. That's what got my attention. And now I'm right out on the edge of my chair, hanging on to every word he said. And when the service was over, I'll never forget it as long as I live. I can see it just like it happened yesterday. He grabbed his Bible and his notebook off the podium and said, if you believe it, it'll work. If you don't, it won't. Good night. I'm out of here. I thought, dear God, where's he been all my life? John Wayne has finally come to the pulpit. That's what I thought. You know. Amen. Well, I didn't surrender my life in the service. But when I went home that night, I couldn't sleep. I tossed and turned all night long. And finally, three o'clock in the morning, I got up. And I walked into my living room. I said, God, I don't know why you still want me. I've been running from you since I was 10, 11 years old. But if you still do, here I am. I don't, I don't know what you can do with me. He said, don't worry about it, son. I'm a master at making champions out of failures. And he said, you just surrender your life to me and I'll do the rest. And at three o'clock in the morning, I received my salvation. I was immediately baptized in the Holy Spirit. I prayed in tongues from 3.30 in the morning until seven o'clock that morning. I felt like I was standing out in the sunshine and it was shining on nobody but Jerry Seville the glory of the Lord filled my living room. That was a defining moment. Do you understand what I'm saying? And then I began to prepare to shut my business down and start planning to go into full-time ministry. I shut my business down and somebody brought all of the messages that Brother Copeland preached that week on reel-to-reel tapes and said, the Lord told me to bring these to you, and if you'll listen to them, they'll change your life. She said, brought them in a paper bag. Here. I said, well, how am I supposed to listen to these? She said, you don't have a tape player? I said, no, I don't have a tape player. She said, I'll be right back. She went home, she come back with this great big tape player that you set on a credenza, had speakers, you know, it was this big, you didn't carry it around under your arm, you know. And she said, I was hoping you already had one. God told me to bring this when I brought the tapes, but I was hoping you already had one. So forgive me for disobeying God. Here, here's my tape player. I set that up in our guest bedroom and I started listening to those messages. And the first one I listened to was just simply called the word of faith. I listened to it. I listened to it. I started taking notes. I outlined them I listened to every message over and over. I would spend a minimum eight hours a day up to 12, 14 hours a day listening to those messages for three months. And when I came out of that bedroom, I had the fire of God in my hands, (laughs) or the power of God in my hands, the fire of God in my heart, the Word of God in my mouth, and only one problem. Wasn't a soul wanting to hear a word I had to say. And I said, well, Lord, what I do now? He said, hit the streets of your city. The hippie movement was on 1969. The drug culture is beginning to take root. And there were a lot of people in the streets. My first sermons were in the streets of Shreveport, Louisiana, preaching to drug addicts, alcoholics, prostitutes, <laughs> hippies. And I was winning them to the Lord left and right. In fact, I had such success in the streets, the police department had me to come to the jails every week. And I had such success in the jails, the sheriff's department sent me to the prisons and I had great success in the prisons, winning people to Christ. The only problem with preaching in the streets to hippies and preaching in the streets to drug addicts and prostitutes and going to the jails and preaching and preaching in the the prisons, the offerings are terrible. (laughs) Didn't anybody have any money? <laughs> I said, God, how am I supposed to live? I got, I got a wife. I got two babies. I got a house note. I got a car note. How am I supposed to live? <clears throat> and one night, this was another defining moment. One night I'm watching Oral Roberts. Back then, Oral Roberts had a primetime special television broadcast. I'm sitting there watching Oral Roberts and he introduced. For the first time, a new book, The Miracle of Seed Faith. He said, if you will write to me, I'll send it to you. Ask for this book. I'll send it to you free and postpaid. I turned to Carolyn. I said, Carolyn, here's one we can afford. Get the address and write for it. And as soon as that book came in the mail, I devoured it. And in that book, he not only taught me seed faith, but he also taught me how to make God my source of supply. Amen. It was a defining moment. Are you understanding what I'm saying about a defining moment? You know, there are times in your life where it, it, it sets you on a, a pace. It sets you in a, a divine direction. Well, I'm still living in Shreveport, and Brother Copeland came for a second visit. This time, I'm no longer a back row Christian who don't want to go to church. I can hardly wait for the man to get there. I'm a front row Christian and I could hardly wait for them to turn him loose. I, 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 I just, I'd lock in, man. I'd lock in. Sometimes people ask me, what are you mad about? I said, I wasn't mad. Well, you had this frown on your face the whole time he's preaching. No, I just locked in. I'm concentrating. I was taking it all in. I was oblivious to everything that was going on around me because I needed this. It was life-changing. And one night, about the third, fourth night in that meeting, he just stopped like he did the first time I heard him. He said, Jerry, stand up. I'd, I'd met him, got to talk with him briefly, had, had a meal with him with my mother and father-in-law. He said, Jerry, stand up. I stood up, didn't have a clue what he's going to do. He said, I was in prayer today and God showed me that you and I will be a team and we're going to spend the rest of our lives together preaching the word of God from one end of this planet to the other. And it'll be your responsibility to believe God for the perfect timing for the team to begin. Sit down. And then he finished his message. I was so young in this, I turned to Carolyn and I said, what did all that mean? She said, I think we're moving to Fort Worth, Texas. I said, Well, why would we do that? She said, Well, he said you're going to be a team and you're going to travel together. I thought, Wow, the man who brought the message had changed my life, and now I'm going to be a team with him. We're going to travel together for the rest of our lives. That was a defining moment.
1: How you respond right now will determine what direction your life will go. It can lead you on a path of failure or a path to your greatest victories. Today's special offer, the Defining Moment Package, contains Jerry Savell's revealing three-part CD series, Win or Lose by Your Attitude, and his inspiring book, If Satan Can't Steal Your Dreams, He Can't Control Your Destiny. In this package, you will learn how to go beyond your previous breaking points, the tricks Satan uses to bring defeat, the tools winners use to succeed every time, and how to outlast difficult circumstances. Don't delay. Call or go online now to jerrysavelle.org and request your copy of the Defining Moment special package. How you respond right now will set the course for your life. Let this be your finest hour as you hold fast to your faith and see God's deliverance in your life.
0: Thank you so very much for joining me today. And I pray that this message has touched your heart in a very powerful and a very special way. We're going to continue talking about this on next week's broadcast. So I want to invite you to make your plans to join with me. Before I leave the air, once again, I want to remind you of our special offer, my little book, If Satan Can't Steal Your Dreams, He Can't Control Your Destiny. If you have the ability to dream it, then God has the ability to make it happen. So hold on to your dreams. Don't let Satan talk you out of it. And then also, win or lose by your attitude. Three CDs. You know, your attitude has everything to do with your outcome. If you have a lousy attitude, a negative attitude, then obviously negative things are going to take place in your life. So once again, I pray that you will consider purchasing these materials so that you can learn how to keep a positive attitude and how you can learn that Satan is after your dream, but he doesn't have to take it. You have a right for your dream to come to pass. God wants it to come to pass. So stay in faith. Amen. I'll see you again next week. And until then, remember your faith will overcome the world.